Good morning, church. It is so good to see all of you and to know that there are even more joining us online. I, I know I say this often, that every week you give me more reasons to love and appreciate you, and this week is not only no exception, but this week has been extraordinarily, uh, given me extraordinary reasons to love and appreciate you even more. Uh, my dad, many of you probably know that my dad this week had a heart attack and had bypass surgery, and the love and the prayers and the encouragement uh, from this church family have truly been overwhelming for me and my family. So thank you for loving us and for praying for us. My dad is doing very, very well after the surgery, so thank you. And his his events and our family's events this week really play into what I wanted to talk about this morning anyway, that we all have days and moments in our life that stand out. Not only that are memorable, we all have memorable days. Sometimes we remember a day for no specific reason. It just was a good day and we remember it and years and years down the road we say, yeah, I remember, I remember that day. But there are other days in our life that are momentous occasions that are life-changing, that the day after is totally different than the day before, that something happens on a day that changes you, that changes how you interact with people. For my dad, this week will be one of those weeks. There will be life before the heart attack, and there will be, thankfully, life after the heart attack. And life after will be different than life before And it's not just bad things that stand out in our mind like that, those momentous occasions, those life-changing events. I think about things like my baptism. Like life before baptism was one way and life after baptism is supposed to be something different. I think about my wedding day. I was a different person before I got married and, and then after I got married. I think about the birth of my children, especially my firstborn, because before he was born, I was not a dad. And then after he was born, I'm suddenly a dad and my life is different and it's changed forever, forever. Life afterwards is totally, completely, fundamentally different than it was before. And every single one of us have those types of momentous, life-changing days, right? Some of those days are, are horrible, days of loss and heartbreak, days where your life is, is shattered, not, not just days that you look back and, and remember with grief and mourning, but, but life changed for you, that life after that day was different than life before that day. But there are also good occasions, maybe the day of your baptism, maybe the day of your children's birth, maybe the day of your wedding, whatever it was, days where things change, where afterwards it was completely, totally, fundamentally different. Not just life was different, but you were different. Your relationships with other people were different. You were changed. You couldn't go back. There was no going back to who you were before or what you had before or the way life was before. It's changed. Everything has changed. And not only do we all have those life-changing days, those life-changing events individually and personally, we also have collective days like that, don't we? We have days, this, this past week, we remembered December 7th, 1941, right? And, and America was bombed and attacked, and, and then we entered into a world war, and things were different. 
from that day on. And there was no going back to the way life was before that day. Life after that day was different than life before that day. Or July 20th, 1969, we put a man on the moon and life was different afterwards than it was before. Or a day we all remember September 11th. 2001, we even, we even talk oftentimes about pre-9-11, right? We, we, we think back and we say, well, yeah, yeah but before 9-11, we would go to the airport and life was like this, or before 9-11, this was like this, or that was like that, but life was different after 9-11. Everything changed, and there was no going back to the way things used to be, the way things were before. Things were changed. Something had happened that changed things forever. Life-changing world-altering events have happened throughout the course of time where the world is a different place. For better or for worse, things have changed forever. Of course, most days aren't like that, right? Most days are average. Most days are ordinary. Most days are common. And you you just kind of go through life and you do the same kinds of things that you did the day before. You might have a little bit better or a little bit worse days, but Most days are just average and common and ordinary. But the song that we're going to think about this morning, the carol that we just sang, is O Holy Night. And and the word holy, sometimes we think of the opposite of holy as, what's the opposite of holy? We might think like bad or sinful, but that's not the opposite of holy. The opposite of holy is common, ordinary, average, the, the way things usually are. But this night, the night on which Jesus was born, was anything but average or common or ordinary. It really was a holy night, a day where everything changed forever, where life and the world, people, humanity was different afterwards than it was before. Nothing could ever be the same. This song was originally written in French, and it was translated into English by an American abolitionist named John Sullivan Dwight. We all know the first verse. We just sang, O holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of the dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices for yonder breaks. Listen to these words. For yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. A new day has come. A new day has broken into the world of darkness. Fall on your knees. Oh, hear the angel voices. O night divine. O night when Christ was born. O night, O holy night, O night divine. So the idea of this song is that this night, this night of Jesus' birth changed everything forever. In fact, we have even gone back and tried to arrange and organize our calendars to reflect this fact, right? We have BC before Christ and AD in the year of our Lord, in the year of our Lord. So we say every year after Jesus was born, is the year that Jesus reigns, that the world changed on this night that God chose to come into the world and become a human being, the night on which God said, I want my people back, I want my creation back. 
The night where God became human. Everything changed forever. And we know the first verses, but I'm so glad that we sang even the third verse of this song because it was the third verse of O Holy Night that caused Sullivan to translate it into English. Listen to these words because I I had never paid attention to these words. It says, truly he taught us to love one another. His law is love and his gospel is peace. Chains shall he break for the slave is our brother, and in his name all oppression shall cease. This is probably the most radical part of the good news of Jesus. The radical part of the good news of Jesus isn't just that Gentiles could be saved. That's that's pretty radical, that Gentiles could be part of the family of God. The most radical part of the good news is that from now on, oppression is over. And that Jesus ends oppression by changing the hearts of the oppressors. He ends wars by capturing the hearts of the warriors. He turns the social order on its head by saying the first shall be last and the last shall be first. It's radical. And if Jesus is king, if Jesus is who he said that he is, if Jesus is who the apostles say that he is, if Jesus is who we say that he is, then everything has changed. Not just the way that we interact with God, that's changed for sure, but the way we interact with each other, with every other human being. His law is love. And his gospel is peace. This is the good news. Not just that your eternity is secured. Not just that your eternity has changed. Not just that your forever has changed. Not just that your life after death has changed. But your life now has changed. You can't go back to the way things were. Life will never be the same. Humanity will never be the same. The world will never be the same. Something has drastically, fundamentally, totally changed the world. That God has come into the world. God has become human and this has changed everything nothing can stay the same look at the the prayer or the song that Jesus or that Mary sang rather that we've read several times Luke chapter 1 and verse 46 Mary said my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior for he's looked on the humble estate of his servant for behold from now on all generations will call me blessed For he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has, listen to these words, he has scattered the proud in their thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. This is what the Spirit revealed to Mary. This is what the angels revealed to Mary about what the ministry of Jesus was. 
What the messiahship of Jesus, what the kingship of Jesus would mean for the world. That Jesus was coming to bring judgment on the proud. The proud will be what? Scattered. The mighty will be brought down from their thrones. The rich will be sent away empty. But it's good news for the humble, those who are of humble estate, because they will be exalted. And those who are hungry will be filled with good things. Now, we've, we've been really good, I think, at just kind of taking all of these words over the years and just sort of making them metaphors, right? And just sort of say, well, spiritually speaking. Well, what does that mean, spiritually speaking? You ever eaten, eaten food that was just a metaphor? No, no, just what, metaphorical food? I want real food. When you're hungry, you want real food. When you're enslaved, you want real freedom. When you're oppressed, you want real liberty, And how would Jesus bring these things? By changing everything. By changing the way everyone, Jew and Gentile, treated each other. His law is love and his gospel, his good news is peace. This isn't a metaphor. Jesus really would turn the world upside down. That there is B.C., before Christ, and there is A.D., Anno Domini, in the year of our Lord. Jesus reigns, and we can't go back to B.C. Life can't ever be the way it was before Christ. Everything has changed. There's a new king in town, and God has taken back his creation. And God is in charge, and this is his law. His law is love. The Lord, your God, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. And doing so will change everything. It will set the captives free. Because the slave is our brother. It will feed the hungry. Do we see what happened on the day of Pentecost? And the days following the day of Pentecost? When the good news was announced? They didn't just say, hey, now y'all got spiritual food to eat. No, there wasn't a needy person among them. Why? Because everybody shared whatever they had and they took care of each other's needs. Literally, physically took care of each other because that's what followers of Jesus do. And we can't go back to living as we lived before this happened. Something has happened. Something has changed this holy night This night divine, this night that is unlike any other night, God became human and everything has changed forever. Not just for the 33 years that he would minister on the earth, but forever. Not just in the future, but in the present. Everything has changed. And it changes by changing us. By changing you, by changing me. And when he changes us, he changes everything. And we can't go back to life as it was before. When Jesus began his ministry, and he sort of announced, he went went home. You remember, he went home to his home synagogue in Nazareth. And he announced, this is what my ministry is going to be about. This is who I am. This is what I'm doing. He read from the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 61. And verse 1, and here's what Jesus read. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me 
to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That, that term anointed me. The, the Hebrew is Massah, Massah. What other Hebrew word does that sound like? Messiah, right? Messiah. Messiah is the noun. Messiah is the verb. He anointed me. The Lord has anointed me. Jesus says, I am this one that Isaiah talked about. The Lord has anointed me to do what? To proclaim good news. To proclaim gospel. To who? To the poor. And it doesn't just mean financially poor, although it includes that. The, the word there is anav. The Hebrew word is anav. In fact, we did a whole series. You remember the meek shall inherit the earth? The anav. Anav. To announce good news to the meek. To announce good news to the humble. To, to announce good news to the afflicted. To announce the good news to those who are trampled. To announce good news to those who are oppressed. To announce good news to those who've been waiting and saying, someday, God, my God will show up. Someday, my God will deliver me. Someday, my God will fill my empty stomach. Someday, my God will clothe my naked back. Someday, God will put a roof over my head. Someday, God will do good things. And Jesus says, I am the one who has been Messiah, who has been anointed to announce good news to the Anaf, good news to the poor, good news to the afflicted. He says, to the brokenhearted to the captives, to the prisoners, to announce the year of the Lord's favor, the year of Jubilee, Jubilee. It is the perpetual forever Jubilee year because Jesus reigns, because the anointed one reigns. What was the Jubilee? Do you remember? Debts were forgiven. At least that was the way Jubilee was supposed to go. That on the year of Jubilee, debts were forgiven. They were wiped off the books. And if you had gotten so poor that you had had to sell away your family land, you got it back. And if you were enslaved because you became so poor that you had to allow yourself to become an indentured servant to someone else, you were set free. The captives were set free. The land went back to its original owners. The debts were forgiven and wiped off the books. And Jesus says, I am God's Messiah. I am the one that the Lord has Messiah, that the Lord has anointed to announce good news. I'm turning everything upside down. I'm changing everything. And it can never be the same again. If Jesus is who he says he is, if Jesus is who the apostles say that he is, if Jesus is who we sing and say that he is, then nothing can go back to B.C. Everything is A.D. Everything has changed because this is the year of the Lord's favor. And we have to listen to what the prophets of old said. What is it going to be like? What is it going to be like when the Messiah comes? What is it going to be like when the Messiah reigns? What's it going to be like when God anoints a new king who is unlike any king who's come before? What's it going to be like when there is a perpetual year of jubilee? What's it going to be like? And Isaiah tells us in Isaiah 2, in verse 2, Isaiah says, It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains. And she'll be lifted up above the hills and all the nations, all the nations shall flow to it. 
and many peoples, see peoples, plural, people groups, nations, shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Isaiah said there's going to come a time when the peoples, the nations, the Gentiles will say, we want to learn about this God of Israel. And they'll flow into God's family and that the word of the Lord will go forth from Jerusalem like a river out to the whole world teaching people this is who God is, the one true God of Israel. And we want you to be part of his people. And the word will go forth out of Jerusalem to the whole world. Has that happened? Yes, it has happened. When did it happen? The day of Pentecost, didn't it? The word of the Lord came upon the apostles and then 3,000 people were baptized into Jesus. And from that day forward, the word of the Lord went out from Jerusalem, went out to the whole world. Here we are on the other side of the world proclaiming that Yahweh, the God of Israel, is the one true God of the world. Us, the Gentile peoples, saying, teach me your ways, Lord. This has come to pass. We are in, as Isaiah calls them, the latter days. This is this is the day of the Messiah's reign. That holy night, that night divine changed everything. This is the day and the age of Jesus' reign, the Messiah's reign. So look at verse 4. He says that the Lord shall judge between the nations and shall the swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Isaiah looks forward to the future, to the time when the Messiah comes, to the age of the Messiah's reign, and he says things will be different. The word of the Lord will go out of Jerusalem and it will go to the whole world, and nations will say, I'm done. I'm done living as I lived before. How can I live like I lived before? How can I treat others as I treated them before? And they'll take their weapons and they'll turn their weapons into farming tools because they said, I'm not going to learn war anymore. I'm done. I can't go back to treating people the way I treated them before. I can't hate people. I can't hurt people. I can't oppress people. I can't enslave people. I can't do that to anybody anymore because Jesus is king. And because that's true, everything has changed. We're no longer in B.C. We're in A.D. Life has changed. Humanity has changed. The world has changed. And you either get on board or you're judged by him. Because there's a new reality. There's a new king in town. Everything has been turned upside down. And so has this transpired? Has this come to words of Justin Martyr? Justin Martyr, who wrote in the second century, is writing to the Roman officials, and he says, this is these words of Isaiah. He's talking about the words of Isaiah too, and he says, and that it did so come to pass, we can convince you. For from Jerusalem there went out into the world men, twelve in number, and these illiterate of no ability in speaking, but by the power of God they proclaimed to every race of men that they were sent by Christ to teach all the world. And we, he's speaking of himself and everyone else that heard this message, we who formerly used to murder one another do not only now refrain from making war upon our enemies, 
but also that we may not lie nor deceive our examiners, willingly die confessing Christ. We can't, we can't go back. Just like we don't live in a pre-9-11 world anymore. We live in a post-9-11 world. We don't live in a pre-technology world. We live in a post-technology world. We don't live in a pre-Jesus world. We live in a post-Jesus world. We live in the age that the Messiah reigns, and it changes everything, not just, not just how we interact with God, but how we interact with each other. His law is love, and his gospel is. But can I be frank for a second? There was a while where Christians truly believed this, that everything has changed. But then I would say that when Constantine came to power, somewhere around that time and, and their following, Christianity kind of joined hands with Rome and things got entangled. And for one reason or another, Christians started acting like maybe Jesus' coming didn't change that much after all. Maybe this holy night, this night divine, really didn't change humanity that much after all. Maybe we can and should go back to living as we lived before and treating one another as we treated them before. And Christians, once again, God's people, once again, hurt one another and oppressed one another and killed one another. I can't help but think how much different the last 1700 years or so would have been had Christians really embraced the idea that if Jesus reigns, if this really is AD and not BC, then it has to change how we treat each other. If you've ever read the biography of Frederick Douglass, the autobiography of Frederick Douglass, then you, you understand what I'm about to read. But Frederick Douglass was a slave and, and he often talked about the religion of his slave masters. And he said that one of his masters who, quote-unquote, found religion, here's what he had to say about that. He said, when his master, quote-unquote, found religion, I indulged a faint hope that his conversion would lead him to emancipate his slaves. And that if he didn't do this, it would, at any rate, make him more kind and humane. I was disappointed in both these respects. It had neither made him to be humane to his slaves nor to emancipate them. If it had any effect on his character, it made him more cruel and hateful in all his ways. I believe him to have been a much worse man after his conversion than before. Prior to his conversion, he relied upon his own depravity to shield and sustain him in his savage barbarity. But after his conversion, he found religious sanction and support for his slaveholding cruelty. That, to me, is the most lamentable thing. That not only, not only have we sort of forgotten that life after Jesus, life in the reign of Jesus must be different than it was before Jesus. Not only have we forgotten that, but some sanctify the way we treat each other harshly and cruelly. This is not... This is not in keeping with the good news of Jesus. The gospel isn't just good news about the future. It's good news about the present. 
This isn't just good news about where you're going when you die. That's part of it. And that in and of itself should change us. If I don't have to fear death, it changes me. If I know that I will be resurrected and live forever, then that changes how I live. But it's about the present. Jesus doesn't just reign in the future. He reigns in the present. He doesn't just reign over your religion. He reigns over your way of life. It is a gross distortion of the gospel to say that Jesus' coming should change the way we worship, but not change the way we live. It is a gross distortion of the gospel to say Jesus' coming changes the way we worship, but it doesn't change my way of life. It must do both. Fall on your knees. Yes, fall on your knees. That all of us, Jew and Gentile, slave and free, male and female, all of us can come and be part, change the way we treat one another. That the things that we did before, the things that humanity did before, the way humanity treated one another before, cannot be the way humanity treats one another now. Jesus is king, and if Jesus is king, then it's time for us to live differently. We must embrace this new reality, right? That's what we do. That's what we do. Every time there's a life-changing event, we have to decide, will I embrace this new reality? Or will I keep living as if this thing didn't happen? As if this change didn't occur? We can live in denial and say, no, 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 things are pretty much the same. Nothing has changed. I'm just going to keep going on like nothing has changed and everything's the same. Or we can say, no, there's a new reality, a new reality that I have to embrace. And for 2,000 years, there's been a new reality. Jesus is king. But there's been a whole lot of people, in fact, most people, most people for the last 2,000 years have lived in denial of that new reality. The question for us is, will we live in denial of the new reality or will we embrace the new reality that the night Jesus was born changed everything forever? That's what we're doing when we're baptized, is we're embracing this new reality. We're stepping into that. We're saying, I want to live under the reign of King Jesus I want to live in the Messiah's kingdom. I want to be part of what he's doing in the world. I want to embrace this new reality. But along the way, there's so many times in our life where we need to be reminded of this new reality and called to repentance. Somebody needs to say, Wes, you're living BC. You're living before Christ. You're living in such a way and talking in such a way and treating others in such a way that it doesn't reflect the reign of King Jesus. And you need to be called into an AD life. Something's changed and you need reality. And that's what we have to encourage each other about, church. We have to encourage each other to live not only with this hope. And last week we said that we need to cultivate a will to wait. Yes, we are waiting on the final change of reality. Yes, but we're also embracing that something has already changed in the right now, in the present, that the good news is for the right now and not just for the future. And we have to embrace it and get on board and submit ourselves to the reign of King Jesus. And if there's anything that we can do to help you with that this morning, one of our shepherds will meet you at the information desk as together we stand and sing this song.